from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Rocky LaFleur. I've got the, I don't, I don't have these big ad, adjectives like J. Paul does when he does the opening. So I'll just say I've got Josh and Jake with us again on today. Guys, I'm glad to have y'all here. What's happening, fellas? Always good to hear y'all's voice. Yeah, it's always fun to, to get together. Well, not really together, but, but to get on a call together. Well, like you I realize said, I'm naked. When- I'm I'm naked, so if y'all hear me breathing into the phone, it's hard to pull away from my head and hit the mute button back and forth because I do not have my headphones. That is not a pretty so, picture either, Rocky. Because you just said, so if you I'm hear, naked, if you hear heavy, if you hear me breathing hard. I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I got. Let's change the subject. <laughs> you know what's so crazy about it, man? I tell you what. You know, every year during duck season, I will, for the past 20 years of being a guide, you eat very, very rich food during duck season because you have cooks at the at the lodge and it's, you know, same, same menu every week, very, very rich, catfish, steaks. Um, I've always been my whole life 6'5", about 225 pounds. And ever since I've hit about 35 years old, and I'll, we'll get back to the heavy panting part, but anyway, ever since I've been about 35 years old, before that, I would jump up to about 250, 275 during duck season. Man, as soon as duck season ended, I mean, I dropped 20 or 30 pounds within the first month after duck season. Now, mm-hmm. I don't drop it at all. Man, I've been over the other day. And I know as crazy as this may sound, I, I I've been over and was doing some work, and man, I got the heavy panting. I'm like, holy crap, I'm fat in the back of my mind. And so anyway, mm-hmm. I was sitting on the couch the other night, and my three year old son, he looked at me, and you know, you know how they don't care what they say. He said, Daddy, <laughs> your belly is big. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So that's when it really, that's, really hit me. That's inspirational. If my kids are telling me, yeah, my kids are telling me I'm fat, buddy. It's time. It's time to eat right and start exercising. 
That's right. It's it's inspirational. That's an inspirational story, Rocky. And I'm gonna I'm gonna as soon as we get off here, I'm going straight to the to the gym in this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Little, so I, what do we have on the agenda question? today? Hey, I want to ask y'all this. Do y'all drink coffee? How big of a I coffee drinker y'all? Yeah, I, I will. I did drink it a lot more um, kind of before, really truly before this last winter. And for whatever reason, I kind of slowed down drinking it through the winter. And I, I mean, I still drink it from time to time, you know, a couple mornings a week or something. But I don't drink it anything like I used to. I used to, I used to, not be able to function without a cup of coffee before I left the house in the morning. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm, I'm like sick. I mean, literally like something's wrong with me because I have three cups of coffee in the morning and if there was more in the pot, I would drink more. I just too lazy to make another pot. And then I go downstairs to my refrigerator downstairs in my man cave and I drink at least one Red Bull, sometimes two. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You're like Coach Ogeron. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly then, what I was then, about to say. Then I wake up in the morning and I go, God, why am I so tired? I just got three hours of sleep last night. I can't figure out why I can't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, up, up all night long and, you, and you're like, why? But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you ever heard us talk about uh, a former – well, now LSU's football coach, Coach O, but, you know, for a large part of his life, um, Jake, he, he could not function without a pack of Red Bull a day. Like, couldn't. Is that couldn't right? And, um, yeah, we had one of his well, players I'm, I'm on the podcast. Well, I'm just going to tell you, Jake, I, I, really, I really enjoy Red Bull, and I like drinking <laughs> coffee. And I, sometimes I go as far as I don't have the energy that I really need, I, I, I put a dip of coffee in. Yeah, that that's that's what I was about to say. We had one of his former players on one time in the podcast, and he was talking about that. Um, Coach O walked into a team meeting and had a big dip in, and they kind of they got mad at him about it because he always stayed on them about not dipping in in team meetings. And so the player actually said something to him, said, "You know, Coach, you know, you don't want us to, you know, but you got a big dip in." He said, "This is not tobacco, son." He opened up his lip, and it was coffee grounds. He said, "Oh, <laughs> no kidding! <laughs> yeah, no oh kidding." <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, that that's a very interesting podcast to go back and listen to some of those stories about about Coach O and his his old Miss days. I don't think he's that way now. Uh, when you see him on TV now, his eyes aren't quite as bloodshot, and he looks a little healthier. So, <laughs> I don't think he's quite the same. But yeah, when he was in Oxford, <laughs> wow. man, it was it was crazy. But anyway. Anyway, away from that. Well, I'll ask you that. I'm going to ask y'all this. What do you put in your coffee? Usually nothing. On my lips and my coffee. Yeah, it's, it's all black. Yeah. No, actually, my wife got me on a. You know, I used to drink uh, cowboy coffee, just black. And then my wife, I don't know. She, uh, I don't even know when it was. She gave me a coffee with some kind of creamer in it, foo-foo creamer in it. Now I'm like. I mean, I put four packs of sugar and a cup of milk in my coffee now. <laughs> my coffee's like a, it's like candy. My coffee is my my coffee is worse for me than a Red Bull is. 
mean, I, <laughs> I've had it, you know, with creamer and stuff, and I don't, I don't mind it with that. Usually, usually it's it's just straight and it's just black. Um. Oh, oh man! If I get coffee with, if there's like, you know, macho guys around. I'll wait and let everybody get their coffee first, and I'll sneak the milk and the sugar in mine later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will say though, I've had some, I've had that. some coffee, but it, it's been so strong that I put some, that I put some stuff in it. Um, my wife got me some one time. Ted Nugent actually has a brand of new. It's called Nuge Java, and I got it. Oh. And and uh, no, the first I I. I I mean, it was good, but I could not drink it without putting something in it because it was so it was stout. Uh, when it was, when it I was can just, only imagine. Yeah, it was stout. What they call it? Cat's cat, cat scratch fever. <laughs> I can't. It did. See, that was the thing. They have two or three different. It's called Nude Java, but then it had it had they had two or three different kinds. It had different names or whatever. I can't remember which one. It, it, well, I just remember that being so stout by itself that, that, that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really do it without some creamer. <laughs> but, uh, but no, talking about coffee. Now, and, hold on, hold on, hold on. Gradual... I'm going to tell you, Man, oh, I'm tell you something before, before we leave the coffee conversation, I, I'm like Jake, I'm, I'm a sugar and sugar and cream or milk kind of guy. And I, I did something strange this morning. Jake, being a cream guy, ha- have you ever been at home and you didn't have milk or cream? Coffee? Oh yeah, many times. And you, what, what's what's something that you reach for in the refrigerator to to maybe substitute for milk or cream if you didn't have it? Ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I have used ice cream before. But see, then you gotta. When you put, if you put, if, here's the deal too. If you put too much cream or too much, or if you put ice cream in it, then it makes your coffee cold. So then you got to microwave it. And then it comes out tasting like it's got this burnt taste to it. <laughs> oh, man. I've used ice cream. I've used Cool Whip. Um, mm-hmm. I've used whipped cream. Mm-hmm. Hang on, let let me say one thing real quick while we're talking about cups of coffee. Jake, I understand your coffee pot will make make you you know whatever three or four cups of coffee. Mine's about the same. Let let me put something into perspective real quick because Rocky talked about. I mean, you know, Rocky's a he's he, you're a big guy. He's a big guy. His coffee is not normal size cup of coffee. I, I pulled up next to him uh-huh. the other day on the side of the road, and he had a Route 44 drink filled to the top, and it was coffee. <laughs> I said, my gosh, where are you going, space? Man? His, where are you his, going? his coffee maker's the size of an ATM machine. Yeah. He's got a five-gallon bucket under yeah. it. Man. <sighs> but I mean, that's the thing. Rocky's got you know got clients in the lodge. You know, they're, you know they all kind of go over and pull them. Pour him a cup of coffee. Pour him a cup of coffee. You know, until the pot's empty, and then Rocky makes a whole, uh, a whole other pot, and then just dumps that all right into one big round forty-four cup and just walk off. You know? <laughs> That's the truth. He's got, he's got a hose. He's got a hose on his coffee pot. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, which anyway, I, 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 Jake, I tried something. Being that you're a cream drinker, I tried something. Like I said, I've tried ice cream. I've tried Cool Whip. I've even gone as far and tried marshmallows and marshmallow cream mm. when mm. I didn't have any hot cream around. Or, yeah, powdered hot chocolate works too, by the way. 
Um, but today, the absolute only thing that I could substitute for cream without having to run to the store, and I was super busy. I didn't have time to run to the store. And I almost drank it straight black, but I did something I've never tried before. I had some vanilla yogurt in the refrigerator. Let me tell you something. Huh. Don't ever mix yogurt <laughs> with bad. coffee. Mm, it is the grossest like, crap will ever hit your palate of your mouth. Yeah. I bet it looked like floating tofu. Oh. <laughs> Dude, it was awful. It was awful. Wow. Sounds awful. <laughs> but anyway. Well, before we leave to go anywhere, let's talk about Joseph Presley real quick at Four Corner Properties. I was actually just texting him before when I was looking for my headphones before we got on the on the podcast, and I was asking him about, uh, for our newsletter that's going out tomorrow, I was asking about any new property that he had up for sale, and he sent me a property that they just had come up in the past couple of months over at Myersville, Mississippi. It's about 1,200 acres, and that. Josh, is that a, is that an island that that they have, or is it is it on the edge of the river? I'm I'm you not know? sure. I I don't know for sure. I thought I thought that myself, or you know, I, I was thinking about that whether it is or not. I don't know for sure. I don't. I'll have to ask Joseph. It um, it is. An, I know that it is a prime piece of deer and duck hunting property on the Mississippi River there. So if you're looking for a recreational piece of property, there's nobody else that better to call than joseph at four corner properties um joseph can be reached any time of the day he was uh before i leave it he's a 2016 recreational real estate agent of the year um joseph can be reached at 601-540-7240 or you can look him up at 4cmplandandhomes.com jake I know that we've been rambling on for just a minute, but, dude, I want to talk about your travels a little bit this week because uh, back at the beginning of it, we'll get to where you are right now by talking about where you came from. But back at the beginning of the week, you were at a very, very important meeting in Washington, D.C., and something that's very, very important to all of us guys and hunters here in the South. Tell us a little bit about where you were and what happened this week. Well, I was I was initially asked to represent the state of Colorado um, in Washington D.C. as part of a program initiative called the Van- uh, Vanishing Paradise, and that is a direct um, branch off of the National Wildlife Federation. And what the Vanishing Paradise is, is it's an initiative that has been developed to help save, literally save, the coastal salt marshes of southern Louisiana and, in large part, Mississippi, Alabama, and Texas. And the the, the premise behind it all is that, you know, uh, back in the... I guess it was the 1920s or 1930s when the Corps of Engineers came in and developed the dike and levee system on the Mississippi River to really channel the uh, Mississippi River as a navigational waterway 
for barge traffic, uh, cargo shipping, coal, all kinds of stuff. And inadvertently, and and uh, you know what has resulted from that 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 channeling is all the sediment that used to go out into the delta or out into the other you know freshwater and saltwater marshlands down in the bird's foot of the lower Mississippi River now gets channeled directly down the Mississippi and into the Gulf of Mexico and um and and inadvertently over the continental shelf in the Gulf of Mexico. And so what has happened is that sediment was used naturally by Mother Nature um, to help sustain these salt marshes and the barriers. Um, the, the you know the salt marshes create these little islands and peninsulas and and uh, dry, uh, really floating floating uh, floating soil. I guess I guess is what you would call it. Um, out in the the uh, you know outside the the, the coast itself along the edge of the, the, the Gulf Coast, and it, it created this barrier for high, high sea levels, hurricanes, you know, water surges from flooding, high rains or, or, or hurricanes or whatever it might be. And these things have eroded away over time because that sediment is, isn't going to where it's supposed to go now. And so instead of you know, continually rebuilding this environment, it's literally eroding away every time. Um, hey, every well, time hold on. Let me let me let me stop you right there. I'm going to ask you a scientific okay. question. Is okay. is there a way to build uh, mini channels that came that come off of the main channel that will divert sediment to yeah. uh, the that, coastal wetlands to to rebuild them, yeah. or, or bet, is that too is, much? Is it is it too much of a current going through the main channel that they've dug out? Well, what 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 the, the or just create mini rivers? Yeah, you well, know, you don't say mini rivers that'll run into it. It's not even that. It's not even that complicated, Rocky. Really, the answer, the solution to the problem is to literally build um, build just dig holes and channels in the levee itself in certain strategic areas and you know what they call diversions to help channel that sediment back into these natural areas where it needs to go and of course that costs money because there's a lot of machinery and manpower involved and you know the the money's there actually the 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 vanishing paradise program received a large chunk of money from the bp oil spill lawsuit and we're talking about you know billions several billion dollars and so the money's there. It's been allocated for that cause. The problem is, and the reason we were in Washington lobbying uh, for, you know, with, with senators outside of Mississippi, Texas, and Louisiana, because we want to get the rest of the nation involved because it takes that many more people to support this, to get this legislation passed so that it actually goes into effect sooner than later. Right now, right now, um, if this thing passes, they won't even they won't even get to start building these diversions on along the de- uh, the levees until 2022, which is five years from now. They need to start building these diversions in 2018. This is, I mean, they need to start doing this, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So setting it back more time, five years from now, is is 
really inadequate and unacceptable. So that was our whole purpose was to go there as a group. And all these people that were there were sportsmen. These were people like Warren Coco and and um, um, outfitters and, and people that that have old duck hunting clubs and people that have, uh, you know, they're in the seafood industry. These are sportsmen that went together as a group to lobby in Washington. And I think, you know, we definitely made some ways. I think the more important thing opposed to just being there at these meetings was to introduce ourselves, to initiate these relationships so that we can follow up with them and keep really, you know, keep them in tune to what's going on so that when it does come up on a ballot or when they have to go, you know, when they have, when it comes up for, for uh, what's the word? What is the word I'm looking for, Rock? I'm not a politician. <laughs> um, when When they, you know, when they decide, when they make decisions, Everyone needs to participate, and our presence hopefully, you know, will help influence their decision just because they didn't know about it before. Now they know about it, and it's a good cause. Well, what, okay, so I know you were up there um, with friends, but, you know, with representing Colorado, was every state there, or was it mostly because I know that you're from Tennessee and have, you know, southern ties and, and what i'm getting at is i think a lot of people may look at it as well i don't live in the south should i be worried about it but was there it was every state represented no um there were i think i don't know exactly how many people were there but i would guess in the uh the training you know we we met in a conference room and had you know pre-game training and i would say there was probably about 20 people there some were you know there were three or four people representing the uh, state of Louisiana, um, and then a few of us representing states outside of Louisiana, like Tennessee and Colorado, and um, I believe some people were there from South Carolina. And so um, I, I think that the reason we were there is to, to help paint this picture in that this isn't just a Louisiana problem. I mean, this might very well be the livelihood of and the existence of the state of Louisiana. I mean, it's that serious. But, you know, from a global and a, a national scale, man, you're talking about the seafood industry. And I guarantee you, you know, I don't know how many states, I don't have that data with me or, or I, you know, I can't really support that factually. But but I can personally guarantee you that, you know, most of most of the country, most of the states particularly inland from the ocean, get their seafood products from the state of Louisiana. And there were some staggering facts like the amount of soil that's being lost on a daily basis right now is equivalent to one football field per hour. That's how much soil is eroding back into the ocean and never to be seen again. Now, if you take all the soil that has eroded from the the coastal regions of Louisiana of, of Louisiana alone, it could literally fill the Grand Canyon up um, back to to level ground. That's how much that's how much has been eroded. So, you know, I was hearing things like I forget the exact data, but you know, Louisiana is the largest seafood seafood producer in the United States. It has these estuaries and fisheries 
and fishery environments that are unlike anything else in the entire country, uh, including you know Chesapeake Bay and the, the the Pacific Coast. I mean, you can throw all that together, and it still doesn't produce what the coast off of of the state of Louisiana produces. So, you know, this is bigger than just Louisiana. This is bigger than just the South. This is a national. A na this is critical for the entire nation, and people need to educate themselves. They can go to vanishingparadise.org and read all they want to about this about this program. And you know, I would encourage everyone to at least go read about it, educate yourself on it. And if you can get involved in any way, um, you would be doing yourself, the future generations to come, a huge favor. Yeah, and and on that, you know, so. When y'all were up there, you know, this week, was it just kind of um, a meeting of a minds type deal, or was it like educating um, or, or how to educate uh, yeah. people and other gener I mean, that, that's that's what it was. My, um, my role, because, you know, Corey Gardner, the senator uh, from, from Colorado that I met with and his staff, they don't know a thing about it. They're completely clueless to it. And, and that's not their fault. It's just not a part of, you know, Colorado legislature and no one has brought it to their attention. And it's just this, you know, this 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 hidden issue that, that they didn't know about. So when we walk Bill Cooksey, who is the sportsman's outreach director for Vanishing Paradise and, and the National Wildlife Federation, he walked in with me to help support me because, A, I'm not an expert on this. I just started learning about this two months ago. Um, yet, so so he walked in to help support what my cause was, and my cause was to walk in and just initiate this thought and, um, you know, scratch the surface of educating um, Senator Gardner about what was going on and also relate it to the state of Colorado and why it's important. Not only why it's important to Colorado, but why it's important for Colorado to support another state because Colorado has water issues all in itself. When we have droughts in Colorado, water is gold. And we, I mean, literally, we have wars, political wars in Colorado over water. And so it's like, you know, when we walked in, we're, we're, we, we initiated the, the, the discussion about, hey, man, you know, these people need help. And when it's time for you to ask for help, you're going to need their support. And this is something that is going to affect Colorado. It's indirect, yet it's, it, it's, it still will affect Colorado economically. And and so you need to you need to at least know what's going on. So when it comes up, um, you know, for the decision making times to 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 go down, you need to be ready and you need to be able to support this. So really, we were educating them from a fundamental standpoint and asking them for support. Do not forget about this when it comes up. Remember us and what we told you and 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 help help you know, help help this get pushed through so that um you know this these things get taken care of in a much more acceptable manner. Duck hunting surely has changed in South Louisiana in the past thirty years. And you, you gotta kinda think that the two correlate together. 
There. Um, let, let me try to get this I mean, right. They, okay. Don't don't, don't hold, hold on, me don't on don't this. Don't get me wrong. The past two years have been exceptional years, but you know, over there's been a steady decrease in how good the duck hunting has been in South Louisiana over the same time period that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So. If I if I recall the conversation correctly, don't quote me on this, but as I recall, I remember um, I remember someone stating the fact that the the coastal region of Louisiana used to hold thirty percent more ducks than it does now because it had more habitat to hold ducks, and when you relate that to the 1980s when duck populations were very very low if you compare that to the duck population and the duck, duck numbers now then you get the skewed you know the skewed equation as to how many ducks there actually were down in Louisiana at that time because in the 80s duck populations were low but it was holding 30% more than it held this year and we're at we're at all-time record highs with duck numbers right now. So, you know, if you can re- relate that to itself and understand that there were that many more waterfowl in that area because there was that much more habitat, that tells you, that answers the question that you're asking. There's a huge correlation, and it's very direct, and it's been very detrimental to waterfowl habitat. And, again, you know, something just something's going to, if something's not done, something's going to break. And they're talking about these these sea levels that are rising, and when a, a surge comes in, you know, from a hurricane or something, the city of New Orleans literally is a sitting duck. It's a target for this disaster to occur. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons why Katrina was so devastating to that whole region, all the parishes and you know the city of New Orleans, the reason why the water was so devastatingly high to them, it had a lot to do with the fact that these barriers have washed away and the coast the coastline there wasn't able to do its job yeah because it is a huge protective barrier for that area it really is um hey I'll, I'll tell you another interesting fact about that about that mississippi river and the effects the mississippi river on the gulf of mexico you know corn production over the past 25 years have increased probably almost triple the amount of acres and I don't have you ever read any of these studies about what the nitrogen and the phosphorus that that's because we're using so much more fertilizer on corn and it's being dumped into the Mississippi River and its effects on the Gulf of Mexico you ever seen you ever read any of those studies I have not but I've heard you know I've heard I've heard this topic come up as as um, you know, as a concerning issue for sure, but I've never, I don't know yeah. the facts. Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to quote them, but any of y'all listening, you, you should you should go and read not only what Jake is talking about, but and, and by any means, I'm not being uh, environmental nutcase, but you know the the Mississippi River controls and affects a lot of things and I think that if people would just slow down and take a look at the information man it would blow them away it really would Rocky that's exactly right man I, I mean that's I, I why I got that, so involved you know the the 
Mississippi River, I was saw a video the other day. It's just so hard to fathom that, you know, the Mississippi River drains almost two-thirds of the United States. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. It really is. Can I say something about, you know, how this whole Vanishing Paradise program got started? Because this is the initiative that's going to save it. And if, if they can't save it, then it's going to be it's going to be that much more it's going to be that much worse because there's nothing uh, i think there is a coastal do you know the name of that organization the coastal restoration program i forget the the acronym for it but there is one other you know organization that's working very hard and and collaborated and collaborative with um the vanishing paradise but what's really interesting is the vanishing paradise program was launched originally by Ducks Unlimited and the National Wildlife Federation. Um, and, you know, if that doesn't speak volumes to waterfowl hunters and how important it is to, you know, their resource, then I don't know what is. And, um, you know, this is a this is a man-made problem. And no one's blaming the Corps of Engineers. No one's pointing fingers at anyone. But what you know, what we're really trying to do is develop a solution and reverse it so that we take a man-made problem, use man-made, use a man-made solution to restore the, the, really, the Mississippi River Delta and the entire Gulf Coast back to its natural habitat. That's what this is about. Right, and where both of them will live in harmony, where you have commerce, but you're also saving the environment. Exactly. Let's let's put this in. I want to before we leave it. I want to put it in simple man terms because I was listening to you talk about it. We're going back way up, back to the very beginning, and you said that they had dug the channel out, and this, the continental shelf that's in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, you there's there's places that you can go in the ocean three four hundred foot and fish in the blue water down there. You can, and I'm guessing that somewhere in that area is where you're hitting the continental shelf, um, you know, out of Venice. But it goes from muddy water to clear blue. And I guess what you're saying is, and I don't know if those two are related or not, but at the continental shelf, what's happening now, you know, you can go from a depth of three, four, five, six hundred feet, and once you hit the continental shelf, it can drop off to six, eight thousand feet deep, correct? Mm-hmm, correct. And and what's happening now as all this sediment's being pushed out directly into the Gulf, you said that it's falling off of the continental shelf then to six eight you know, if if that's the depth uh, after the continental shelf, six, eight thousand feet, it's just falling off a cliff into the exactly. pit of the ocean. It's and an underwater in the old cliff. Days, it was filling in all of these coastal marshes. You you had multiple and channels the delta. off of Right, off of the Mississippi River, kind of like fingers at the bottom of the Mississippi River that actually dumped off into the Gulf. That That's how it used to be, correct? That's right. I mean, when you look at it from a defining perspective, the Missis- what they call the Mississippi Delta really isn't the Mississippi Delta anymore. You know, it's it's what the Delta used to be. Now, if they create these diversions and start allowing that water and sediment back in there, as it would have, you know, as it would have, it won't be completely natural because these are going to be man-made diversions, 
but at the same time, you know, that water and sediment's going to get back to where it needs to be to, to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to restore it. I mean, it's really a restoration. It's a restoration program. There's no, you know, there's no building. There's no, you know, infrastructure. There's no, there's no um, invasive, you know, planning that's going to, that's going to do it. They literally just need to dig, cut some holes in the, in the, in the levees to let that water back in. That's all it is. <laughs> hmm. That's pretty interesting. I, I saw that you ran into, uh, and you mentioned it in a comment that you ran into one of our buddies, Mr. Ramsey Russell up there. Mm-hmm. He's I a huge that... advocate. He's a very strong player in, you know, in this entire program. Um, we talked about you and, and, you know, it was, it was kind of cool because I was in Washington. I was Bill Cooksey and I were standing in line at the Russell building, you know, which is where the, most of the senators uh, offices are. And, we're standing in line, you know, waiting to get through security and the president, President Trump is coming through. There's an entourage of police. There's dogs everywhere. The, the street cops in Washington, D.C. aren't street cops. You know, I mean, it's a completely different game and environment up there. So I'm just standing there taking this all in. I've been there before, but not in this capacity. And I'm standing there, you know, looking at Bill going, man, you know, we met at Avery 14 or 13 or 14 years ago, and here we are, you know, fighting for a cause. Um, and and you know, it was an it was just an amazing experience meeting people like um, um, you know, Ramsey Russell and and uh, you know Warren Coco and the people that were involved because these were people that I heard about when I was a kid watching on on duck hunting videos with you know, with the Robertsons and all that, and to see them, you know, in a coat and tie actively participating in politics to help save something that means so much to them really resonated with me, and it made me want to, you know, fight harder and participate even more and get deeper involved in this. It's pretty cool. Well... This show is is mainly about Jake this week because we're we're kind of following Jake around because Jake you left you actually left Washington did you fly back to Colorado or did you go <laughs> straight to where you are now? No, I flew back to Colorado, spent a day and a half with my family, and then I jumped on a plane at five o'clock this morning in Denver and flew to Houston, Texas, where uh, I'm sitting in my hotel room now waiting on a. Um, a crew meeting for the Bassmaster Classic, which starts tomorrow morning. Wow. All right, so, and, and it's going to be <laughs> live. I, knew, I yeah. knew Josh was getting some man. I knew Josh was about to jump in here. Yeah, look, I'm telling you, like, this is, uh, uh, it, it amazes me what. If they had Bassmaster the cards, world, Josh would collect them. Man, if I I would if I had time, I'd come pick you up right now, Josh. Because I mean, because that's just so, I mean, it's amazing to me. But but and, and look, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, yeah, I wake up on Saturday mornings and I'd watch, you know, Jimmy Houston and Roland Martin stuff, and that was about the extent of fishing shows. All right, and then, um, you know, there there was a long stretch there where, and I mean, hunting too, but. But fishing shows, you know, they get they get hard to watch. It's just kind of boring. And then, so really, I 
tuned them out for a long time. I mean, I still fish a lot, but then, man, I don't know. It's been a year, year and a half ago. Jake texted me and he was like, I'm going, I think you were over in Alabama. And he was like, it was a, it was an elite series. And he was like, it's going to be yeah, streamed live. Yeah, that's right. It was at Wheeler. It's, and, and, uh, it's going to be streamed live. And I was like, dang, okay, well, cool. I'm on, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. I had to keep my battery and my, my phone on charge because my battery just went dead all day long because I couldn't leave it. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, because, I mean, you're there in the moment with them while they're fishing, while they're competing. And, um, uh, and so anyway, I mean, it just got me way, way back into the fishing world. Um, and, and I mean, it's just fun to follow. And then, of course, you've done a, a few of those events since then, but that's what I was going to ask about the classic. Is it going to be live like that? It is. So, yeah, you know, you tune in to Bassmaster, Bassmaster.com, you go to the live stream tab, and we will be every morning, which we do at every event, but um, obviously this is special because this is this is literally the Daytona 500 of the Super Bowl of the outdoor world. There is nothing... Nothing like it, and nothing even close to it in the outdoor world at the I moment. I mean, what what kind of uh, crowd are they expecting, or that is fully expected? So, to be there? yeah. So the for the final weigh-in on Sunday, they're expecting. I mean, it's being held at what what is what's the name? I'm so sorry, I don't even know the name of the park. Um, but it's being held in the new stadium where the Houston Astros play, and they're expecting between thirty-five thousand and fifty thousand people to show up for the weigh-in, and on the live stream, we normally... I think that's Minute Maid Park. I think that's what it is. That's what it is. That's right. It is Minute Maid Park. And so in the live stream, we usually, I mean, as it is now, we're getting, you know, forty to 50,000 people to tune in every day that we we uh, that we go live on, on digital platforming. And so they're expecting, hopefully, to break numbers. And I think the record right now is when uh, Kevin Van Dam was... Uh, winning the classic a couple years ago, or maybe maybe a couple years ago, and he uh, he was generating eighty thousand viewers per day um, on the live stream. So right now, I think at minimum we're going to have forty to fifty thousand people on. We could see in upwards of eighty thousand to a hundred thousand people viewing the live stream. So the live stream times are going to be seven a.m. to 10 o'clock a.m., then there's an hour and a half break, and it picks back up for the second segment at 11.30, and it runs to 2 o'clock. So 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., 11.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's when the live yeah. stream segments are, are, are on, on the air. And that was the other thing that on the Elite Series was that um, when y'all were doing it, you would go be like 7 to uh, I mean, it was probably the same way, but, but anyway, what I'm getting at is it would cut off with like an hour or two hours left of fishing, and so by that third right. day, it was so close that, I mean, one fish, not even a big fish, but one fish would make a difference in, in first and fourth place, and it was driving, I know I'm not the only one, but it was driving me nuts because I, could, <laughs> I couldn't watch it then, so I had to wait till the weigh-in to see what had happened, and I mean, it's just always amazing um, where the industry is in in that. Um, it's so cool to see. Uh, to see, I don't mean, I guess you get to see the you know you get to see the human side. You get to see the you know they're out exactly. there. 
they're got their missing fish, they're catching fish, they're they're stressing over decisions they made, you know, maybe they shouldn't have gone, you know, this way to start the day. And I mean, it, it's unbelievable what all you get to see, you know, and, it, exactly. and it's happening live. Um, so how did they it's go almost, from your – go ahead. I was going to say, uh, to elaborate on that, it's almost as exci- – not as exciting, but it's almost as as dramatizing to watch them – not catching anything as it is to watch them, you know, smacking big bass because oh, absolutely. all of a sudden they've been whacking them all morning. Everything goes dry and then they make a move and there's nothing. They make another move. There's nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, they're starting to fall. They're starting to fall in the, in the, um, you know, in, in where they sit in the, in the, uh, in the, in the event and, you know, the pressure starts building. And I've been in boats with some of these guys where it's like, man, they were in second place. Now they're in fifth. And they're like, they're concerned about catching one more fish because they've only got four in the boat, you know, with two hours yeah. left. And I think, I mean, it's just, it's a really, what, 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 you know, JM Associates and Bassmaster has done for bass fishing in the outdoor world is is really amazing. I mean, it is it is a huge event. There's so much excitement. There's so many fan. I mean, they have, you know, fantasy. They have fantasy fishing. I mean, <laughs> you know? yeah, I know it's I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy where the you know, where the industry is. Um, even even how much it's done in the last eight years. I mean, it's five eight years is unbelievable. But um, you know what I wanted to ask you is from your standpoint, cameraman standpoint. Are you usually with the same person every day, or do they, or, or is that the kind of stuff you'll figure out when you go to your meeting in a little while? Um, you know, how no, does that no, well, thing I, work? Well, for this event, this event's different. So, you know, there's I think there's 53 boats um, in the classic, I believe, and like the top three or four are, you know, they're they're not randomly they're not randomly placed in order, but you know, it's like last year's winner the angler of the year winner the winner uh the year before that and then i think they have some sort of lottery to pick you know how the boats line up then they'll take you know the history of the people that are the the anglers that are in the event they'll look at their history and see who's done well on you know lake conroe in the past that's where they'll place the cameras so tomorrow believe it or not i'm actually kind of excited because I'm going to be in the boat with Mike Iconelli all day tomorrow. Oh, my gosh, man. You're going yeah. to fall. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Rocky, fun. It should be Rocky, really. look, I know, <laughs> I know that you don't know a whole lot about the fishing world, but I also know that you don't have anything better to do at 730 in the morning. So wake up and watch this because this is going to mm-hmm. be fun, being in the boat with, mm-hmm. with Ike. Man, that's going to be fun. Because mm-hmm. that dude, I mean, there's... On, he is on a whole nother level of of excitement when it comes oh, yeah. when it comes to fish, oh, yeah. man. God, so like, that, that's that's where y'all are fishing, Jake. You said Lake Conroe, Conroe, C O N R O E, Lake Conroe, and it's about we're about forty minutes away from Houston. So these guys, when they come in for their weigh-ins, they have to, you know, they have to trailer their boats down to uh, Minute Maid Park from Lake Conroe. And then you know that's where, that's where they weigh all their fishing, and that's where all the festivities are. Um, hey, it should I'll, be cool. Let me, so, I want to ask you this question, real quick. Okay. Is this is this? Look, I know that bass are abnormally huge in South Texas. Correct. 
these are big bass. So is most of the places you usually see these guys fishing are, uh, I don't know, is it lakes that produce this big a bass? Uh, no, I mean, some are, like Lake Okeechobee, you know, I mean, it's famous for world-class, you know, gigantic largemouth bass. And you put your head in their mouth. Um, yeah. And then there's other lakes like Douglas and, and, you know, some lakes in Tennessee that that don't grow huge bass, but they grow um, they grow bass effectively and they're well managed and the anglers take yeah. care of the resource. So it's, you know, it's a good, the fish are very healthy. They just don't reach, you know, gigantic proportions like they do in Texas and Florida. They're having they're having an event on on Barnett Reservoir this year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not a, not, a, not a classic, but I think it's an elite series. I think. It is an elite. It's coming yeah, up it's pretty a, soon, a, actually. Yeah, because um, I, I saw uh, Jared Swindle stop through and and pre-fished for a day or two on his way to another tournament. But um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, Barnett is not is not worldwide known for for huge fish, but but quantity of of good healthy fish absolutely so that that would be my my guess as to why they're you know having it there um because it's it's becoming more and more popular and it's uh, i mean it's a great fishery but you know being in south texas or you know for this you know for the classic and to be in a lake with some some giant fish it it's going to be fun to see how this one this one comes about yeah, from what i understand you know today they all the anglers had to stay off the water today because um, they were practicing all week, um, and they had to give it a rest. But from what I understand, the reports that I heard today at the equipment trailer was that they're not catching a ton of fish, but the fish that are being caught are magnums. They're 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 giant. So <laughs> it's it gonna, gonna, cool. gonna be that's gonna be fun. That, that's gonna be a lot of fun to be there be a part of that. Oh. They're booners. They're catching booners. <laughs> I'm looking I'm really looking forward to being in the in the boat with Mike Iconelli because he's oh, just okay. such a character. He's like yeah, he's like and, a mix between he's like a mix between let me see, who who could we Michael Jackson and someone else on Adderall. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, you've got somebody with an extremely high, like he's so intense, and his energy level is is crazy. Jack, yeah, whether he's catching fish or not, and man, that that's okay. So that was the thing, though. Are you gonna be with him through the weekend, or as long as long as he as long as he makes you know whatever makes the weekend? If he's competing, like if he's competing, and you know they make the cut uh, on. Saturday down to the final 12, you know, we cover the yeah. top five or six. Actually, we have six six cam- live cameras. Okay, that was my event. next question so, was how yeah. many live cameras are there? Yeah, normally, we have four on day one and then five and five on day two and day three. Now we have six, six, and six. So there's six live streaming cameras on boats tomorrow, and I think we're covering – let me see. I can't remember. Kevin Van Dam, Gerald Swindle, Mike Iaconelli, um, um Keith Combs, because he did he did really he does really well down. It. This is like his home lake. And then I can't remember the two other 
the two other anglers recovering. But, you know, we're covering the best. These are literally the best bass fishermen in the world. I mean, we were talking about people at the Tiger Woods level of their game when he was peaking. You know, Kevin Van Dam is, I mean... And they don't get anything. I mean, anything. He's I mean good. they don't. It's they don't. Unbelievable. They don't. It's unbelievable. What he's, done, what he's done for bass fishing and the fishing in general is is unimaginable. Just because he is so good at what he does, not only is he so good at what he does, he's a good guy. He stops, man. I watch him at every event that I film. He he never walks away from someone that wants his autograph. When he comes out of the weigh-ins and he goes backstage and walks, you know, through the gates to go out to his vehicle, I mean, there's a mob of people waiting to see him, and he will stand there and and sign autographs with a sharpie until every last person is done. Then he goes and gets in his truck and leaves. He is a he is a he's a he's a fine he's a fine he's as fine a person as he is an angler. It, it's it, I, I, it just, it's amazing to me, that, you know the, the, I mean like that they're having the weigh-ins. That yeah, it may may seem inconvenient and all this other stuff, but they've got to have it somewhere like that for the crowds. I mean it's unbelievable what what stuff like this is doing for, for not just fishing but for the entire outdoor industry. But man, fishing is it's it's just unbelievable uh, the reach that fishing has now. I mean there's. There's high school kids going to college on bass fishing scholarships, and there's colleges yep. with you know with three and four and five teams of anglers, you know, fishing yep. competitively. I mean, I mean, you know, the the, the SEC and, and everybody is competing, you know, on lakes fishing against each other. It, it, it's unbelievable. Well, Jay, hey, you know, you know, I'm a tech junkie, so I've got to ask you, just just in a brief summary, what what we all cover in the production meeting. In just a little while. I mean, just for uh, we'll everybody cover, that's listening. Yeah, we'll cover. See, we have you know when we get on a boat, we have we have a sequence of things that we have to do. We have to do a sit down interview with the angler. What's your game plan? You don't have to tell us exactly where you're going, but tell us what you're going to do today. What what do you know about this lake, and and how are you going to you know try to achieve your goals? Then. We have to go live, so we call in. We have a, a conference line, just like this. We're doing this podcast on. We call in on a conference line. We're we're earbudded up in one ear and uh, on the conference line. So we're literally talking to the studio back in Little Rock. Uh, Mike McGinnis, who's the producer of Bassmaster, we're talking. You know, we're listening to him. He's switching cameras um, on a switchboard, and he's producing and directing this entire show. On the other ear, we're earbudded into the cameras so that we can hear what our angler's doing, saying at all times. And so we call in at 6.45 in the morning, make sure we're on the conference line. Then we go live at 7 a.m., and then we're taking the orders, direct orders from the director and producer, Mike McGinnis. He's telling us which camera's going to go live, which camera needs to be ready for the next, uh, the next take and so on and so forth. Literally, it's like a television crew at the Super Bowl. It's like a television crew at the World Series. It's like a television crew at the Daytona 500. We are we are working as a... It is, it is a... It is a... The first time I did a Bassmaster Elite event, I was, I was completely overwhelmed. I was completely out of my element. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. 
and was that, somehow was that got, the one where? Go ahead. That's where you're going with it. Go ahead. Somehow I got through it, and my adrenaline was so jacked up after that event that I was like, I mean, I was writing them emails, going, "Please, please invite me back." And uh, is that the one again. where? Uh, where where you won? Well, not you won, but where your angler won? No. Was that? No, that was that was Wheeler. Actually, that was, I was with Takahiro Omori. Right. Okay. I, th- I was thinking that was your first one on Wheeler. That's why I said that. No, I've actually done. I did. I don't know five, four or five before that. You know, okay. One Didn't or two a that. year. Yeah. This is like I think this is my fourth season to be in. Um, now. I will say I'm much more full time than I than I used to be because unfortunately we lost a, a 30 year crew member, um, Rick Mason, who has been with JM and Bassmaster for many years. He passed away um, a few months ago, um, so you know that that really forced you know the crew to 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 grow outside of its home crew, and they call they're calling on me and a couple of other freelancers to to step in and, and, you know, pick up the slack there. So, you know, unfortunately that happened, yet at the same time I'm honored and I feel privileged to, you know, to be involved in this this organization because it is, it's a family. Uh, and, and this is really important. I, you know, this just came up in my head, but I really want to mention this. The anglers are like, we high-five the anglers. When we're on a boat with a guy you know, we're part of their team all of a sudden. They they bounce information off of us. They're talking to the camera, but they're talking to us too. And when the camera goes down and we're riding, and we're talking about the fishing. We're talking about, wow, you know, that was freaking awesome or, or why did that happen and, and this and that. You know, I'm learning as much just being there as I am filming. And, and then at the end of the event, you know, man, these anglers are coming by the camera crew's trailer telling us thank you, you know, if it weren't for us they wouldn't be doing what they're doing and it's this huge family we go out to dinner i mean we see each other in the parking lot i don't know all of them yet every time i come to one of these events i get to know one or two a little bit better and it's this really cool relationship that builds and it really is a family i mean i mean that i mean that from a literal perspective yeah i know you've always told me that it's just it's amazing how um, it's not awkward at all when you when you jump in the boat and go. It's just it's not so, at all. Well, it's, and with and and you're not with the, I mean you know you're not with the same guy tournament to tournament or anything. So you know in your mind and any normal human's mind you would think you know this this might be awkward. It's going to take us two hours to get to know each other or whatever. But but I mean by the time you leave the boat ramp, you know you you feel like you're you've been fishing buddies for for twenty years and it's just a you know another day to go have fun so man, i know yeah, you've always and, told me that and, and that that comes through too in the you know in the video I and mean, it does it i mean I, I'm, I'm serious rocky you'll 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 feel like you, you should know, tune in tomorrow rocky uh, you really should it's un it's unbelievable i mean it really it's just it's really really cool to see i mean these guys uh, that i've been in boats with now I, we're friends on instagram <laughs> And we like keep it like I see them pop up on my Instagram when I post a photo from Uganda or Mongolia. I see Drew Benton come in and like my posts, and I go to his page and like his posts. When he posts pictures of his wife or his children or whatever, I know what he I know where the, I know them because I met him and I fished with him, and I'm you know very compelled to to 
support him because he's actually a friend now. It's really cool, man. Oh man, that's that's pretty interesting information. Now, I'm sure you're not going to be carrying this camera on your shoulder. Or you, I'm sure you have a, like a built-on arm to the boat or whatever. And the oh yeah, the there's, camera yeah, there's a <laughs> yeah, there's actually there's a, a Coors Light chick uh, that you never see because I never put her on camera. She's standing behind me. And when after I get my <laughs> shot, I just hand the camera to her and she holds it the rest of the day. <laughs> no, there's there's it's it's brutal and. One of the things that, and I won't, I'm not going to say this about myself, but these guys that have been doing it for a really long time, I mean, it's hard on it's hard on you. These cameras are heavy. You know, you're standing on your feet in the back on the back deck for eight hours, and oftentimes when it's windy, you're literally getting the crap beat out of you because these guys they don't they're not worried about your camera. They're not worried about you. They're worried about getting to their next spot. If it's 10 miles away and the wind's blowing, you know, 15 or 20 miles an hour into your face, they're spearing these waves running 60 miles an hour, you know, wide open into the wind, and you're just getting pounded. And and trust me, I know these boats now, and I know if I were to go out and buy one of these fancy bass boats, I know exactly, like, which ones I would go buy, and it would be completely based on how comfortable the ride is in rough water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, well look, I know that that, that this yeah. uh too, I was gonna say, um uh, the link to I mean you can go to you know the Bassmaster. Um what what is what is that, that link? Right, and we'll we'll put that link up with, with this. You know, it's Bassmaster dot com and then the the uh you just go to the live feed because I mean it's it's amazing. I really hope, you know, that that everybody takes a chance to even if you don't fish just tune in for, for simply because of what it represents in the in the growth of the outdoor industry. I think if you tune in, you know, you'll get a completely different perspective on on the organization, the the magnitude of the event and the entertaining entertainment value that you get out of it. I think if you haven't seen it, it's worth just give it five minutes, man. Just tune in, come check it out. Um, just go to Bassmaster.com. Then you can go to you can go to the Bassmaster Classic tab, and then you can hit you know tomorrow morning you'll be able to hit the live. I think it says live begins at 7 a.m. Central or something like that. You just click on that tab, and it takes you right to the live stream, and you literally can just sit there and watch it on your phone, your iPad, your computer, live stream it through your smart TV or whatever. Um, I know you get to your production there. meeting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna have to keep going here. I, I got a, a production meeting for sure. Um, well, thank you for but, taking a few minutes to talk to us, being on here today, because that's some pretty interesting stuff from the Louisiana marshes all the way to the Bassmaster Classic. It's always an interesting conversation when you're on here, Jake. So we appreciate you, well, your busy schedule, stopping to to host a podcast with us today. Well, I appreciate y'all having me here. It's a it's a you know, it's a pleasure to, to be around you guys and to chit-chat with you guys. I mean, I learn so much every time we have a podcast because it's always something different. It's a really, you know, the, you you guys are creating a great environment here. It's a fun place to be, and, and I'm just I'm just happy to be here, and, and I, you know, I consider it to be a privilege. Thank you very much. Well, I'm just glad that I'm a manly man like yourself 
drink screaming his coffee because I always get made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> with that, we'll close out today. I want to thank you for joining this edition of the On the X podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.